It's been a little while since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. We had some great times. Sue and I took some vacation. We thank you for that. Uh, Pastor Hayes did a great sermon that day. I enjoyed it. I've watched it. I like that phrase. He had you repeat back or tried to have you repeat back that God will use what I did not choose. And that's a very great point. Things come into our life that we would never choose to have happen, but God works through that and He can use that to help us become who He wants us to be. So I, I appreciate Pastor Hayes coming. I don't know if you know the connection, but he was pastor, has retired from Maple Grove Baptist Church in Louisville, down in outer uh, Oklahoma, actually. And a very famous singer was one of his church members, and that was Larnell Harris, was uh, attended uh, Maple Grove Baptist Church, fantastic tenor singer. So that was one Sunday. And then last Sunday, we celebrated in the baptism of Lacey and Briley. And that was such a joy to experience their excitement of, of undergoing baptism. And there's a great picture when Lacey is coming in to be baptized, her face just beaming with joy uh, at, at the anticipation. And so we haven't had our, our studies on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, so I'd like to do just a quick recap of what we looked at thus far. Jesus is the consummate teacher, and that's an understatement, of course. The Son of God certainly knows the Scripture, knows God's mind, but He knew how to connect with people to get a message across. And we looked in, starting out in Matthew 5, the first 12 verses, where he said the Beatitudes, and I'll remind you that they come from beate sunt, sunt. A Latin term means blessed are, and it's turned in, it's been anglicized into Beatitudes. That's where it comes from. They weren't called the Beatitudes in the Bible. Your Bible may have a note in it that has that there, but that's added from the editor. It wasn't part of the original scriptures to help us segment it, but Jesus goes through and he talks about what it means to be blessed. And we talked about how that is talking about becoming more godly, being meek, being a prayerful person, looking towards God for everything. That's what the Beatitudes talked about. And we like that part because Jesus is talking about blessed are you when this happens and so forth. We love being blessed by God and, and so Jesus is teaching of that. So we start by first being saved or born again, but our Christian growth doesn't stop there. Our life is a journey in learning to leave behind the ways of the flesh and taking on the ways of God. The next verses, Jesus gets right to it again. After he's talked about us being blessed, he then says, now be a light to the world. Be salt to the world. Take that that God has given you. Take those blessings and share them to the world. We can think of those passages in the one today as an introductory thought. Jesus hadn't really gotten in to teaching uh, the, the, the different aspects of being a Christian. And so today we're going to look at, about, look at that. 
And I expect all of us are familiar with the story and the resulting adage of give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that's what Jesus is doing here. You see, we often just want to relish into the blessings of God and taking care of us. We all like to receive gifts. We like to receive God's help. But Jesus recognized that it's in our nature to just focus on what God can give us and that we want his provision in our lives, but we want to rule our lives. So it's, give me, Lord, take care of me, provide for me, but I'm going to keep control is what we typically do. And Jesus responded to that in John 4, 48. He said to the people, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus said, you will never believe. So the people would follow him just out of amazement. They would watch him heal people. They would watch him take care of other problems. And in John 6, 26, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, meaning who he was, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And so the people were following Jesus around just to get what they could get from him, and he understood that, and I think we can take from that, it frustrated him because he had so much more he wanted to teach them. God teaches us that he is concerned with us. We're taught that he knows the hairs on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He knows our needs before and better than we know them. But Jesus, God, is concerned with the heart of man. That famous verse uh, out of Samuel, when he's talking to Samuel and choosing a king, that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. We can look good. We can, we can come to church and we can put on a good show about how we're doing and what we're doing. And we can talk about successes we have. And that's good, can be good, but God is evaluating what our heart is before him. That's what he's pleased with. God is pleased with one's faith in God, not just that we follow after him in order to get some. As a matter of fact, John 6.26 comes from the passage that recounts where Jesus fed the multitudes doing the miracle with the five loaves and two fishes where he multiplies them. But it came after the people had been following Jesus, hearing his teachings, seeing his work with the people. They'd been there all day. And the Bible tells us it was at the end of the day and they were a long ways from home that Jesus took compassion on them. It wasn't a soup kitchen. It wasn't line up to show up to get food. Jesus had been teaching. And then he says, we need to feed them. And so we need to be sure we don't come to God in that way, that it's not just to get what we can get from him, but to really involve him in our lives. In thinking about Jesus' teaching in this passage, I'm reminded of an occasion in my college days. I'm talking with a good friend, Larry, and there's something, I don't remember the occasion, it doesn't matter, that I was saying something to him about a way that his mom was. 
And Larry's response back to him, well, that's just the way she is. She'll never change. And that's one of the worst things in my book you can say about a person, that they can't take truth. They can't take logical thought and change their ways, that they're, they're stuck. Now, sometimes people are stubborn and unwilling to change. That's a different problem. That's not what I'm talking about. It's this attitude that they can't change, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And Jesus doesn't think that way. Jesus designed you. Jesus made you. He gave you the intelligence. He gave you the experiences you have. You gained your knowledge through the different things you've been through in life. And he believes that you can change what you're doing. That's a six-letter word that we don't like hearing so much, but that's really what the whole Bible is about, is changing our lives turning from a life of sin to a life of faith in Christ, repenting from those things we do that are wrong, and turning to do what is right. But we often shortchange our young people because we think they're not able to handle discipline and rigorous teaching. Certainly we have to be sensitive to their age and their capabilities, but it's amazing what children can accomplish if they're nurtured taught about how to do things. Most of you here probably know, I do know you know, Meg Golden, and you probably saw the paper uh, this week about her achievements in high school and what she, she an amazing person. I don't know her. I think I maybe met her once when Gracie came and did her talk on Egypt, but you know her well. You saw her grow up, Sean and Sarah's daughter. I'm sure a lot of that was the teaching and encouragement that Sean and Sarah gave her, enabling her, encouraging her to pursue those things those, and to develop those attributes. And uh, Gracie's another wonderful one that I've met, and uh, she's a fine young woman. I'm sure all the children are, but it's their parents believed in them and taught them. Well, Jesus believes in you. He knows you have the capacity to grow in knowledge and in faith, faith. And so he gives these parables and teachings to train and encourage you in your pursuit of God. He doesn't just save you and leave you. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to become more and more like him, growing in closer and closer fellowship. And to do that, there are uh, attitudes and attributes in your lives that need to change because they get in the way of this fellowship with God. God created you. He designed you. He knows what you can do with His leading and encouragement. But enough preaching. Let's go on to teaching today's passage. Again, Jesus is laying some groundwork here. He's addressing some misconceptions the people held before he gets into some fairly hardcore teaching and really challenging them. Jesus, of course, had started his teaching ministry, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the other Jewish leaders were getting a little upset with him because it sounded like he was throwing everything out about what they were doing. The people were getting confused. They had been taught the Mosaic Law all their lives. Their parents had learned the Mosaic Law. 
their parents before them for over a thousand years about how to follow the law. And some of the things that Jesus say sounds like he's refuting the law, but that's not the case at all. Let's read our passage now. We're going to start at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. The scripture starts with 16, but let's start at 17. Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws, you will surely not enter the kingdom of heaven. The purpose of the law, and one reason the people got confused with Jesus' teaching, and one reason the leaders uh, got angry with him about that, is because they misunderstood the purpose of the law. They had turned this law into something that was going to make them righteous, that if they crossed their T's and dotted their I's and did everything, that then they would be ushered into heaven, that their good would outweigh their bad. But that's not at all what the law is intended to do. The law was actually intended to show them they could not be righteous enough, that they could not attain what God wanted them to do. Matthew 5.48 gives us that standard where God says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Perfection. That's the standard is never doing anything wrong. That's the only way to be ushered into heaven. That is the purpose of the law. It wasn't to beat us up, to beat them up. It wasn't to beat them down. It was to show them that they had the sin nature and no matter how they might try, they were not able to every day, every moment, every year of their life achieve what the law taught, to achieve the standard that God was placing before them. And so Jesus is addressing that and and they're thinking, well, he's, he's throwing all that out. But he wasn't. Jesus expanded. He carried the law further. He explained the depth of what the law meant and what it meant for the people to do. And so Jesus came and taught that. Jesus goes on to emphasize what he said in verse 18. If we look at it again, Jesus says, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. When is that going to occur? That's the end of times. When Jesus Christ comes and he sets everything right, that's when the, the uh, heaven and earth will disappear. In the end times when Jesus returns, he casts Satan into the lake of fire and brimstone, and there is a new heaven and a new earth. So he continues, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. Your version may say jot and tittle, 
If we look at verse 18 within the King James, it says, not the least smallest letter or a jot in the tittle will go away. If you look up here, this is a description of what that is. On, the, on your left, there is the jot. The jot is the smallest Hebrew letter in the alphabet. It's the 10th letter, but it's very small compared to some of the others. Next to it, it illustrates what a tittle is. Those two letters on top are two letters of the Hebrew language. And if you'll notice, they're very similar, but there is a slight difference where the one to the right has that half moon kind of coming off the back. That's a tittle. It's just part of the lettering and making that. And so Jesus is saying those smallest characters are not going to pass away until the end times. That's how much the law is going to stay in place that not even those tiny letters or tiny parts of a letter are going to disappear. So Jesus taught that. Could he be more specific? Could he be more clear? But he goes on. Yes, he can. Verse 19, Jesus says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom. There's a lot of people doing this today. We have more and more opposite of truth coming out. We have more and more people denying the ways of God, teaching a different way, saying it's not real, saying God's mistaken, saying what we believe is mistaken, and they go on to teach our young people these kind of things. God says they're going to be the least in the kingdom. And then he gives the end verse where he says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. So Jesus goes on to say, nothing's going to pass, not the jot or the tittle, the smallest letter, the smallest little mark. That's not going to pass. Then he says that those who refuse to obey the law will be called the least in the kingdom. Those who support it will be called the greatest in the kingdom. So he draws that comparison. And so we have to kind of ask ourselves, do I want to be the least in the kingdom? Do I want to be on the bottom rung? Or would I like to be great in the kingdom? Do I want God to honor me because I have followed him, because I have obeyed? Do we want him to say, come sit at my right hand and enter into your rest? That's a challenge for each one of us. What is it? Then Jesus goes on. He's not finished there. In verse 20, he talks about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for their zealous practice of the law. That's what their faith in God, that's what their religion was, is making sure they knew all the laws and following them. But Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, your life surpasses that of the Pharisees who, for whom that was their focus and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus lays out here this standard again, as good as the Pharisees were, as diligent as they were as following the law, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to do better than they're doing.
So bam, Jesus laid down the gauntlet. If you want to be accepted by God based on your own abilities, you better keep the Mosaic law better than anyone ever has, and you got to do it perfectly. That is a high bar. And there is only one person who has accomplished keeping the law perfectly, and that was Jesus Christ. Everyone else falls short. The only way to be perfect is to accept God's redemption through His Son and His atoning work on the cross. By believing in God's Son, by accepting His gift of salvation purchased through His shed blood, Paul wrote later, it is not by works you are saved, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to please God is, our, is by our faith. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That faith is in His teaching. That faith is in His Word. And while we may think we can take this Word and we can dismiss part, dismiss part of it because, well, that's the Old Testament. Some people think the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. I don't hold to that. Jesus Christ, as we just read, said He didn't come to abolish the law, and it's not going to pass until the end times. Not even the jot and tittle. But it isn't a matter of just keeping it religiously. Keeping it perfectly, there's more to it. There's a depth, and that's what Jesus is going to teach us as we go on. So that's the first step. And if we go in here and we say that about the Old Testament, or if we read some other verse and say, well, that can't be true, that isn't right, we're placing ourselves over Scripture and over Almighty God who impressed upon His people to write these words down. We're elevating ourselves above God. We're elevating our thought above what He knows. We're claiming ourselves to be a better arbiter of what is right and true. And there's another one that did that. At the beginning, at the dawn of time, there was an angel created. His name was Lucifer. He was very prideful. He said, I'm going to arise above the mountain of God and I shall be great. His pride led him to fall. But we take on that same attitude whenever we say that doesn't apply, that doesn't matter. And I have those moments. I, I, I think I read that and I'm going, what on earth is God saying here? But I take a, take a position that the limitation is my understanding not what God said. God's Word is true. His Word is absolute. And I need to know it and understand it better. And that's a life of constant study. So the first step is that step of faith to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We saw that last week as the girls testified by their baptism that they had taken that step. The next step is acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Lord of your life by yielding your life to Him. Yielding your ways to Him and spending your life pursuing godliness. It's 
letting him be Lord of your life. And that word Lord, an English word that comes out of the Middle Ages where people were lords over their castle or over the people. And they had complete control over what those people's lives were like. And being a Christian, being a follower of God means yielding oneself to His leading, to His direction, to His teaching. We've sung that song many, many times. I surrender all. Not holding anything back. That's where we grow. That's where we work to become. That's where we yield to Him. One way to accomplish God's standard is by your strength. You can work to try to do that. You can try to be the perfect person to live, but the Creator of all has said that you'll fail and that you're doomed. The great Apostle Paul said that, and I've referred to it before, but Scripture's good. We need to hear it over and over again. Paul said, that which I want to do, I don't do. But I keep doing the things I don't want to do, O wretched man that I am. And I think we've all experienced that. We will purpose in our hearts that I'm going to do this way. And the next thing we know before we take another breath, we've already forgotten it or moved astray from it. We don't have sufficient discipline to overcome all of that because of our sin nature. So the only way to accomplish it is to receive that indwelling of the Holy Spirit to live according to His power, to let His power work through us to accomplish what God would have us do. And mercifully, thankfully, God is a patient God, and He works with us. Excuse me, my knee gave out for a minute there. He works with us to build us up, to strengthen us, to teach us, and He gives us time to accomplish that. There's a great song I like by Carmen called Step of Faith. And there's one line in that, that God does accept baby steps just so I'm stepping in His direction. And that's true. He doesn't expect you to become the Apostle Paul or Peter or some of these other great. He doesn't expect you necessarily to become Billy Graham or Moody he expects you to respond to your, His leading in your life. And that can be showing kindness to someone you don't want to show kindness to. It can be yielding something in your life that you want to grasp and hold on to. And so that's what Jesus is calling us to, is to yield that to Him, to give that over to Him. But we want to maintain that control so that's one way we can try. We can try to be religious. Religious is man reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. We were lost. We didn't know we were lost, but He quickened us. He made us aware of the Word. He put that spark in us, and He started nurturing that. He started sending people our way to demonstrate the love of Christ. He started having us hear His Word in some way. We, we probably aren't even aware of those ways. All drawing us to Him. And then as we accept Him as our Savior and Lord, He comes and He takes residence within us. 
so that he is with us always, giving us knowledge, wisdom, understanding, teaching us to observe all things, as it says in Matthew 28. So that first step is that accepting Jesus Christ. The next step is acknowledging him that he is Lord. Whether we acknowledge or not, he is Lord. And the Bible tells us there's coming that time where every knee will bow. Even those who have rejected him, hated him, despised him, they're all going to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on that day of judgment. So, which will it be? Continuing to live your life in your own strength, to endure that frustration of, of a step ahead and two steps back? Or is it yielding? Jesus is telling us what that life can be like, how blessed it can be, how good it can be, but it's not going to come just from His pouring stuff on us. It comes from changing the heart. Changing the heart is getting to know His Word and applying it to our lives. Step by step, baby steps turn into bigger steps, moving in God's direction. In presenting this, I've tried to do it in a very reasoning way. One of the scriptures in the announcements beforehand talking about come, let us reason together. Our closing hymn, come, let us reason together. It's very logical. It's very, it's, it's mysterious. It's above our imagination. It's above our knowledge. It's above how we think. God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But he wants to tell you his thoughts. He wants to open up your mind and heart to the ways of God and show you riches that you can't imagine. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. That's what God is wanting to do for you. But you have to start out by that acceptance. And then it comes by that yielding each day. Lord, what is it you're wanting to change in my life. And it's giving up, yes. Giving things up that we want to hold on to. But not to make us a destitute person, but to give us the riches of the King. He has better things in store, but we can't receive them if we're holding on to his, our ways. There's not a good reason to not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. He is the good, good Father. Jesus teaches us later that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And your walk each day, when something good happens, I encourage you to just very quickly say, thank you, God. When the traffic opens up and you're able to get where you need to be, when the traffic stops you, it might be He's preventing you from tragedy. When there is loss in your life that you did not choose to let him use it to strengthen and enable you, to give you wisdom, that's what it comes. Is there any reason to not obey him by following him in baptism? To testify by that act, I've followed Jesus, I'm turning my life over to him.
to encourage those in attendance and to proclaim as a start of your faith, I've, I've turned over to Jesus. Is there a good reason not to become part of the family of faith that's striving to follow God, to live according to His Word? We're not perfect. We're not there yet. We're not going to be there yet. But we're moving in His direction. And we want to help others move in His direction. Are you so strong that you don't need the support of a faithful, loving family? I know I do. God can make us do whatever He wants to. He could snap His fingers at this moment figuratively and every one of us would fall to our knees and praise Him. He could take His judgment right now. He could snap His finger and take our last breath from each one of us. He doesn't want to make us follow Him. He wants us to choose to follow Him. He wants us to understand the riches of Scripture. He wants us to understand that He has an abundant life and to trust Him with that. I was thinking this week as, uh, as I've been out driving, we really have a lot of trust when you think about it. We trust those other drivers to not go where we want to be at the wrong time. We trust and verify because we watch them before we enter that red light. You trusted to come in and sit down in these pews that have been here a hundred years, I guess. I don't know how long they've been here. I don't think anybody checked them structurally. That's the kind of trust we put in God where we rest all on Him. We keep saying, I've got time. We don't know that. Probably, but we don't know that. So God could make us do what He wants us to do, but He wants us to choose to love Him. He said, come, let us reason. That's what the Lord says. To take stock of the faith of people that have gone before us. To take stock of how He has proven Himself over and over and over again. And to say, that's what I need to do. And to step forward and make that testimony. To make that statement. So it's your decision. God's not going to force anything on you. We're not going to force anything on you. He just says, the law is not going to disappear. God's Word is going to stay sound for eternity. The law will pass away, the Mosaic law, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. But God is going to continue on. And you can be with Him if you choose to.